Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Retention. I am Aaron Newworth. I am David Bax. Uh, Tyler Smith is once again on assignment. That's actually kind of true this time. Uh, he, is, he is somewhat representing Battleship Retention at the International Christian Film Festival in Orlando, Florida. Ah. Beautiful Orlando, Florida. Um, <laughs> the, I, can't, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's a nickname for Orlando. But um, O-Town. Uh, O-Town? <laughs> is, that, is that where O-Town gets their name? Yes. It, oh. it very much is exactly oh. where they get their name. Because all those boy bands are from Orlando. It's weird. I guess, I mean, that's like the home for like, you know, prepackaged <laughs> entertainment, right? I suppose. Um. But I'll bet, like, I've always said, like, I'll bet Orlando has, like, uh, a pretty sick punk scene or something. Like, there has to be, like, a balance, you know? I to guess. Be, like, the home of, like, Disney and Universal Studios and all of that. Because it's, and, like, a concrete jungle, it feels yeah. like, over there. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, what, what room is there for anything else? <laughs> um, so, yeah, if there's an underground punk scene, something we should definitely look into. You should be texting Tyler right now about that, actually. It's like, hey, by the way, while you're presenting your film. Uh, which I forget. I, I remember the length more than I remember the title. Um, <laughs> it's called Valley of the Shadow. Valley of the Shadow. While you're Spiritual presenting Valley, Valley of the Shadow. Of horror, yeah. yeah while, you, while you're presenting Hour 9 of Valley of the Shadow, <laughs> you could go check out. I, it's fine. It's a good movie. I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> but you should go check and see uh, what else everybody else is doing underground. If there's a scene going on. Yeah. Uh, so we're, uh, so we're going to do this, uh, this. I think this is the first. No, this is not the first time we've done one of these episodes, which I'll get to what that means in a second um, without, without Tyler. But um, it's still pretty rare. But first, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives today i was using them to listen to uh the new album from chicago rapper def c uh the album is called for all debts public and private and um it uh has a bunch of um uh good guests on it great beats all the beats are by boathouse uh, I don't know. I didn't know who the, I'm not that big a hip hop guy that I knew who Boathouse was before, <laughs> but I like the beats on this album. Uh, I do know who Armand Hammer is, the rap duo, and they show up on on one of the. Do you say songs or tracks? Like, tracks, I guess they show up on one of the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a it's a really great album. Sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com, but if you use the offer code pretension. At checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Okay, we're back. And uh, Aaron, I I know you know why we're we're here today. Listeners, you, if you want a clue as to why we're here today, what we're doing here, just look at the number of the episode. It ends in a zero. And yet... And yet it is not evenly divisible by the number 50, which means once again, 
it's a profile episode um uh, a profile slash tribute episode to someone uh, uh an important figure in film that we have recently lost that's what that's what these have become over the over the years um and aaron we are here today because you uh uh reached out when Sidney poitier died you reached out to me and said, if you're doing a profile, I would like to be on it. And I was like, uh, great. I didn't know at the time that it would just be you and me, that Tyler wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be here, but uh, it's better this way anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, so that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about the career of Sydney Poitier. Right. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to do so. Yeah. Um, do you have any, overall thoughts before we we get in like some introductory thoughts yeah um city plotty like he's obviously you know he he died at 94 um and he pretty much retired from acting early 2000s essentially so it's not like Wait, you said he died in 94 no he was he he was 94 years he's he yeah, died, he died at, 94. at 94 i was like and he but he we're re- late <clears throat> and he retired from acting like in the so what i'm saying is throughout most of my adult life, he's not been like a presence really, yeah. as far as like newer yeah. films in the same way that, you know, your De Niro's and Pacino's have continued on that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I became more and more familiar with him over time as I became a budding, you know, film fan, film enthusiast. And so I catch up with all of his recent, you know, his, his earlier works and what have you. And just what I, what makes me admire someone like him beyond being like, what seems to be a genuinely good person he just he feels like a wonderful movie star. Like that's the impression I get from him. And it's the kind of thing where he's an amazing actor. Um, he will get to his credits or what have you, but in the same way that like I, you know, I really appreciate what Denzel does. The thing that I like about Cindy Poitier that it seems like it because it's because he's not as present, you know, in this kind of age as you know, as as other actors are in the way that people regard people, they kind of forget like their kind of status beyond just being someone that's like a revered prestige kind of actor. He was like, a, he was a movie star when he was like in his prime. He wasn't just like a guy you expect to like give an Oscar worthy performance. He was a guy that was in a lot of movies and being like one of the biggest stars in the world, a black star, no less at a time when that wasn't a thing. You didn't have many black blockbuster movie stars and we'll get to some of his films that some of which have you know sequels and what have you but it's like it's cool to think of him as not only like this amazing actor this wonderful wonderfully revered man but a guy that was like you know cock of the walk among others that were huge presences within hollywood at that time as well and uh, so yeah it's just like among other things i i i like bringing that up when i when like conversations about poitier start because it's it's not just that he was really good at what he did, but people loved him because he was good at what he did. And he started a bunch of stuff. And when you, you mentioned that uh, he was uh, the rare black movie star for the time. And we mm. were going to be talking about race a lot in talking about these movies, because that it was his being the only black movie star often, I think led to him playing roles in which his being black is very important to mm-hmm. the movie or the movie is ab- about that. And that had to be quite a, a burden for someone who is as talented as, as he, as he is. And, you know, there are movies uh, where he certainly got to stretch beyond that. And he, and he brought things to even the movies that were uh, uh, specifically about race. Um, but that there must've been a lot of pressure and um, he, he carried that, that weight Yes. Uh, 
so gracefully um for sure he's yeah. a he's a cool guy that's the, that's what i like i'm getting at too where it's like it would be one thing to be a guy that like bears the weight and makes it feel like heavy so when he's on screen you're feeling like this this presence that's almost brooding constantly but it's like no the dude was like he was a cool dude like, he, yeah. like he's you know he seemed to ha- he handled things with grace and he kept doing his thing and i mean <laughs> the, the the legacy stands so let's uh let's dive into the movies i'm i know i i haven't said uh indb list his first credit is an uncredited nightclub extra in a 1947 film called sepia cinderella i haven't seen that nope. um, so <laughs> i'm sure it's wonderful <laughs> I, i'm gonna start with uh with 1950s uh no way out uh written and directed by joseph mankowitz um has nothing to do with the uh terrific uh 1980s uh kevin costner uh sean young thriller no way out which is a uh, truly hackman, great movie. right uh, hackman yeah. yeah and uh and fred dalton thompson right fred rack a pack of it stack of <laughs> yeah um that's a truly great movie um 1950s no way out is definitely the thing i was talking about right where have you seen it i forget i have not seen no way okay out, no. so this is what i was talking about and this is like a social issue movie it's a movie about racism in a very in a way that is i think very Mm heavy-handed um and it gets is it coincidentally this is something that uh uh last week in the tcm wrap-up episode scott was talking about uh the sammy davis jr movie a man called adam that he saw there and how um he, he he liked that movie because he was talking about how so often movies from this time period that are about racism tend to not be about systemic or institutional societal racism. It's often like, here's a nice black guy and here's the, that one mean racist who, mm-hmm. who hates him. And that's kind of, I mean, it, it gets beyond that, but that's kind of what no way out is about. So no way out, uh, Sidney Poitier plays a doctor. He is the first black doctor at this, uh, this hospital and a couple of criminals brothers, uh, who are criminals, um, come in because they've been shot in a well uh, during an attempted holdup or something and the uh one brother dies on the operating table under sydney poitier's like uh uh care mm-hmm. and so the surviving brother played by richard woodmark is convinced that you know uh this this black man killed my brother because he's white this guy uh hates white people and and richard woodmark is like uh, I mean, I know, I, I remember uh, talking about this with Fred Melamed when he was on the podcast, the idea of playing someone who is like racist or having to say like, like, you know, the N word and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, Fred Melamed was like, no, we're, we're actors. We, you know, we have to pretend to kill people too. It's something we can do, but I still often like in situations like this, I feel like, wow, Richard Woodmark spends the entire movie saying, truly heinous things um and uh it's a great i mean richard woodmark is one of my favorite actors of all time so it's a a, he does a good job but the movie is just like very heavy-handed and very like uh uh, very clear on who the good guys and 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 bad guys are and that's why i describe it as like this social issue movie where it seems like it's supposed to be a movie to like teach people about the ills of racism um Right. It's it's one that I I'm aware of. It's one and I I've been wanting to see. There's so many. There's a lot of these where I'm like 
I don't have stars. And there's some, like star seems to be one of the prime resources for Sidney Poitier movies for whatever reason. It's like, I can't catch up on enough of these. Um, but as, as far, you know, when you look at these earlier films that are like, yeah, if you want to call them social issue films, it's very blunt, but it, at the same time, it's like, it's not far fetched. <laughs> That's the thing yeah. that like gets me about this. Like, sure. The dialogue could seem more written, but in terms of like the attitudes of said characters, it's rare that I watch like an older film that's very deliberately dealing with race and feeling like, Oh, this is too, this is too much. <laughs> it's like, if anything, it's probably less <laughs> than it would be. And there's probably yeah. less people involved than there would be. Um, so it's like having movies like that come out now, it, it, it rarely feels like it's, you know, a dated idea or it hasn't learned anything from other movies. It's like, yes, you can approach things different ways or you can have a, a philosophy behind it that stems from why these things are still happening as opposed to what the present is currently like. But at the same time, it's like things are kind of this way, like a lot when you see, when you see yeah. things that way, especially from my perspective, particularly, I mean, you know, you experience certain things that you watch a movie that reflects these things. Like you're not going to, you know, you're not going to run to many black audiences. You'd be like, that's too unrealistic when it comes to the way racism is depicted on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I should also mention that uh, an uncredited Aussie Davis and Ruby D play hey. Sidney Poitier's. I can't remember if it's his brother and sister-in-law or sister and brother-in-law, but either way, they're they're like uh, the one sort of scene we get of his home life. Uh, they're there at the at the table, and Ruby D will be talked about uh, a couple more times um, mm-hmm. in this episode. So that's uh, that's no way out. Um, the next one for me is not until 1955. Five years later what else what else do you have uh you know, blackboard jungle would be the place that that goes yes well. yeah. yeah so 1955 is blackboard jungle um which uh yeah speaking of seeing actors you like say the n-word superman's dad says the n-word in this one <laughs> <laughs> it's very jarring um although he's at least at least i guess he's not supposed to be a racist character he just says it like in a bit of cluelessness he's like giving an yeah. example but then he still gets like sort of called out thankfully for it but um yeah it's uh interesting to see Sidney poitier on this side of the like inspirational teacher movie because he one of his more famous roles that we'll talk about later is him on the other side of 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 that equation but um uh yeah it's uh, it's blackboard jungle is certainly uh, belongs to that tradition and i don't know that it's that great uh, uh a movie um but i do like uh, I love Sidney Poitier's energy as the as a as a teenager here. It's interesting also that like five years after he played someone who had graduated from medical school, he was playing like a seventeen year old in 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 this movie. Uh, he could like, do it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like his 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 performance. Um, it still seems like he is, and this will come up again and again in his movies. It still seems like he is being used to represent like to to be like the 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 example of black decency to the the white characters and by extension the intention intended white audience of of the movie yeah he certainly he, you know if you put up if you put black nobility in the dictionary he's right there like yeah. that's the character <laughs> that's the that's the face that you put next to that um that's the kind of presence he brings to something and that's what i mean 
if I'm not mistaken, I don't think he's ever played, you know, someone nefarious, uh, necessarily, <laughs> um, maybe some shades. Um, yeah. but I don't think he's played like straight up, like, you know, he, he never pulled a, um, yeah, uh, what's it? Um, uh, Henry, Henry Fonda. Fonda. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you got, you got it. <laughs> so it, it, that's the end. That's again, that's a credit to him as far as being able to make that work throughout his career. Like something I, I, you know, I looked at Denzel a lot as far as like, who's the, the equivalent. And it just, it's a very obvious pick, but it's like Denzel, like he's moved in that direction plenty of times as far as going across the aisle, essentially and playing more, yeah. you know, despicable people or what have you. Um, and it's and it's not that hard for him, honestly. Like he, he finds ways to do that. Poitier, it's like I'm sure he could, if he wanted to do that, probably could. He's very talented, but uh, <laughs> but as it stands, it's like yeah, no, like he, he that's a that's a thing that he's very he he knows he knows how to play like you know someone that's on the up and up that you want to believe in and not make that boring. Um, and that's Blackboard Jungle, which I have not seen in a, a number of years at this point. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's you. <laughs> As we go, we're, we're going to get to one coming up where it's like, which does have some shades because he's a prisoner, essentially. And you wonder why, but you get to that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's um, it's interesting to see like his younger career, like that kind of become more and more of a thing. And which I guess will kind of lead to what we're talking about as far as the idea of him having like this this weight in the shoulder of being a a black actor that means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a so Blackboard Jungle is obviously a, a a supporting role, though it's one of the 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 bigger supporting roles in in the movie. Um, another really interesting supporting role. Have you seen 1957's Edge of the City? I have not seen Edge of the City. That's okay. one that I, I know about this one because it has um, Casavetes, and I'm like, I, this sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> I need to see this. Um, it's okay. It's not. It's definitely not bad. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, Martin Ritt um, with whom. Uh, he would work at least one other time. I, I think uh, the director, um, maybe more, uh, but I'm trying to find. Uh, yeah, I think just one more time. He's got a few. Um, he's like a Paul Newman guy, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Martin Radia did like HUD and uh, Ombre. And, um, yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. So uh, yeah, John. So John Cassavetes is definitely the star of 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 this movie and. Uh, He's a guy who's looking for for work as a I don't know stevedore longshoreman but it's no it's not a longshoreman I because I think because of the wire season two I always think of a <laughs> stevedore as specifically someone who works at a harbor but these guys work unloading freight trains but they still use the term stevedore so I guess that I guess people who unload freight are stevedores whether it's uh, boat or train i guess so, like dock worker is pretty universal as well like yeah, it's, it's, yeah. that's not specific but, but to the sea yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just you're just near a dock at that point. like trucks I mean, can load things and stuff. um this is very much the thing we should focus yeah. on <laughs> so, yeah, john is kind of a drifter who gets uh, a job as a stevedore um a train stevedore uh and he's he gets uh, hi, or he gets put on the crew of uh, Jack Warden's character, who's uh, like a, you know, what's what's the word I'm um, I'm looking for? He's he's got like his little fiefdom. He throws his weight around his like crew. You know, they kick money up to him. He's essentially like a mini mob boss of the okay. Stevedore crew. And then Sidney Poitier plays the head Stevedore of 
like the the foreman of a different crew who befriends John Cassavetes and he goes like and, uh, tries to leave Jack Warden's crew and go work with City Poitiers uh, uh, crew. Oh, so um, War- the Warden's a bully. That's what he is. He's a bully. Uh, yes, he's very much a, a, <laughs> yeah. a bully. And he's um, uh, this is a movie that is less um, far less specifically about race. Uh, but Jack Warden does say some uh, uh, not in like Richard Woodmark stuff, but he's like, you know, he says to Sidney Poitier, like, I remember a time when guys like you wouldn't get hired here or something, something like that. Um, yeah, so it's calling, it's calling it out without calling it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and again, uh, Ruby D plays Sidney Poitier's wife in, in, in this one. So that's another uh, two of three that we'll talk about uh, Ruby D uh, pairings. But um, uh, I, I think. To to your point, you're saying him never played a, a, a bad guy. This is like very much an example of that. He is the nicest man in the world, and mm. that's that's sort of because like it's maybe a little on the nose. Uh, um, it's, it's a noir, right? So it's got to be a little more heightened. I, I, uh, it has a noir like name. I guess it's noir ish, but it feels more of a piece with. It's trying to be more, um, not neorealist but you know it, it like it's all like on location at a train yard and stuff like that it's, it's it seems like it's trying to be about like actual workers but there's just the idea of john cassavetti's character having like a devil and an angel on his shoulder you mm-hmm. know and and Cindy poitier is just very very much the the angel so it's not that nuanced a role but he you talked about him being a star like mm-hmm. he's he's so magnetic in this movie you there's there's no question as to why John Cassavetes, whose character is meant to be a little like dim, like nice guy, but not that bright. And the way that he like you don't question why he's immediately drawn to Sidney Poitier's character. He's just mm-hmm. like he's so nice and he's so bright and and energetic and funny and, and bubbly. Um and compare that to like the grumbling, pushy Jack Horton character. Mm-hmm. Um This yeah. is fifty seven. Yeah, this is 1957. So this is still, I mean, even before the next one, presumably we're going to talk about, like, this is pretty early for interracial friendship being like a primary aspect yeah. of a story like this. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, there's, um, because I met, yeah, I mentioned Ruby D, uh, John Cassavetes, he like, Sidney Poitier gets, because John Cassavetes, like he said, he's a drifter, he's just coming to town. He gets him a room like in his apartment building and he like, Cassavetes becomes friends with Sidney Poitier's like whole family, you know, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, uh, obviously there. Like I mentioned, Ruby D, his, his family's black too, and John Cassavetes is a, not a member of the family, but uh, uh, is uh, befriending uh, the entire family. All right, sorry. Um, moving on so, to 1958. Real right? quick, I'm really, I'm really hoping we get a movie called The Stevedore at some point because that yeah. seems like fresh territory to mine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a good like on the waterfront rip off in a long time. So like we do, we need, we need to bring that back in here. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I guess you can't get Mark Wahlberg unless it's a Christian movie now. Right. Yeah. yeah, That's a, that's a, that's a prerequisite. That's, that's the, the header on his resume now. Like like he used to say, I don't know where to go with this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I'm assuming the movie you were talking about the next year, Stanley Kramer's, the defiant ones yes yeah so i've been talking too much uh so yeah 
Go ahead. Um, the defiant ones. Uh, you have you have uh, Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier. Um, if you, it feels like this premise is like been around for a long time now at this point where you have uh, two guys on a chain, on a, like a chain gain and they escape uh, they're chained together. Um, and of course in this scenario, we have one black and one white and they don't get along. <laughs> so they spend, they spend the majority of the movie bickering with each other while trying to evade police or some kind of law enforcement. Um, and they slowly come to become friends of each other or at least gain a level of respect for each other that they never thought could happen. Um, and that's the basic concept of this thing. Uh, you have Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier together. That's, that's a lot of dynamite right there that you can put and have a good time at the movies. Um, the film, because where is it set? It's set in, in the South, I guess it's just like yeah. the nature of it. Yeah. Um, it feels like the kind of movie that's like, was not easy to make <laughs> where it's like, they're, they're stuck together and they're in like mud and rain yeah. and they have to fight. And it's like probably like hot and humid all the time. And they're constantly like, it feels like a movie. They were what I like. You can like, cause I said it cause you could like feel it in the movie. It feels like you can feel the you know the uh the struggle and the stress of being in this kind of scenario whether what and i stanley kramer is a good enough filmmaker where i think yeah i, I think he wanted to convey that in a, in the best way that he could uh, along with having you know curtis and plotty acting together you're gonna get a lot of good stuff out of there what i like i mean you had they're playing convicts but I mean, what party, I forget what party is crime is exactly, but I'm pretty sure that it amounts to being black in front of a police officer. Um, and <laughs> Curtis, I think has some other, there's something going on. Like I'm, I'm trying to remember the exact, I, did, I watched this not too long ago too. I watched it. I, it was one of the first movies I watched when he died actually. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, it's the, the, well, I, well, I think, yeah go i'm trying to yeah, think what this crime was <laughs> i'm focusing too much uh was it, was he like had someone tried which one had like a farm and someone tried to like take the farm from him isn't that I, I, that's one of the two of them right i can't remember now mm-hmm. um, it's also been a while yeah. um but yeah to what, what you were speaking of when i think about this movie i think less about like the incident you know and the and, and the plot and the scenarios and i think about like all the shots of them like you can't fake that they're like actually chained together while they're yeah. like running through the woods or like there's the the greatest part where they're both they're trying to climb up the embankment and they keep like one keeps falling and like dragging the other one back down into the like swamp or the water or whatever they're in it's like you can't like yeah you you can't fake that and that and that um that physicality of them on screen together uh is i think what makes them be so memorable for sure. It, and it's, you know, it was a huge, it was like a box office hit to a degree for the time and like a big awards player. In certain States. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, that's uh, true. I mean, I, I, I joke, but that's true of like a lot of yeah. these movies, like didn't get released in yeah. large parts of the South, mm-hmm. but it was a huge awards player as well. Like it was like yeah. nine Academy. They are, both of them got nominated and all that. Um, um but I was, I think of, did you see um the James Baldwin documentary I am not your negro? Yeah. So there's a whole part about him his writing about the defiant ones and and uh um being disapproving of the way the movie ends and and saying like that that sort of that sort of ending is 
reveals that the the movie's goal is not to like address racism but to make white people feel better yeah yeah i mean it's it's he's not wrong i mean and that and that's frankly that's hollywood i mean that's and that's what gets repeated over and over again uh, as if because there's a lot of there's a lot of like presumed optimism that um especially when it comes to you know white filmmakers and white producers and white studios and etc um they feel like you got to put a bow on it you got to make it a certain way because that's you know gonna bring in more it's gonna the the word of mouth is gonna be different it hasn't changed no we have a best picture winner from a couple years ago that's the same thing yeah yeah uh but we i I don't necessarily mind that much (laughs) but it's like you know we're doing the same thing here guys like yeah i i didn't care for green book except there are um i don't mind it as far as things about it as far as like it, like no way am i thinking this definitely should have been nominated <laughs> but it's but yeah. uh but I, I guess to say anything nice about green book i would say that peter Farrelly is a comedy director and there are parts of green book that are legitimately funny like no that's, that's folding the entire pizza in half it's that's funny that's <laughs> that's really funny yeah <laughs> Okay, so I said a nice thing about Green Book, which I don't think I've ever done before. I mean, I can leave the podcast. That was my main goal. <laughs> I was like, we'll get to the Defiant ones and we'll lead this into a Green Book conversation. Uh, so now that's 1958. I've got two in 1961. Do you have any in between? Um, uh, I haven't seen Porgy and Bess in the longest yeah. of times. Okay. <laughs> and it's one where it? Yeah, but my, memory, my memories are pretty vague on it. Okay. I don't have much to expand on beyond, hey, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah um it's like it's like weird like it's weirdly hard to stream like that's the other thing about it like it's not one where it's like popping up yeah that 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 happens sometimes when we do these uh these these profiles like i hit when we did robert forster i didn't get a chance to talk about medium cool because it's like not streaming anywhere i I have the criterion blu-ray for medium (laughs) (sighs) should i ask you um yeah poor game best not screening not streaming anywhere. Currently. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, I've got two in 1961. We'll start with the big one, um, A Raisin in the Sun, which I, at first I thought I had seen before. And I realized, I just watched it recently. And I realized that I, in high school, I think we, in like a literature class, we read the play okay. Raisin in the Sun. And I think they showed us clips but I realized like watching it, like, Oh, I never actually watched this whole thing. Um, but once again, you've got, uh, Ruby D as Sydney Poitier's wife. Um, and here, uh, I mean, a raisin of the sun is a very clearly a filmed version of a play. Yes. You know, it takes place. Staging all over the place. Yeah. In, in, in the same, uh, couple of rooms. There's, you know, they, they add some stuff with like the bar and stuff like that, but, not, not really. Um, it's very minimal, yeah. But it's a great play, and all of these performers are great in in the movie. And I especially like to talk about Sidney Poitier um, and how often he was asked to be like you. You talk about black nobility, and I said the, you know the paragon of decency and stuff. Like uh, what's his name, Walter, in A Raisin in the Sun, is a very flawed character. The mm-hmm. most. I think the most flawed Poitier character we've talked about so far by, uh, by a mile, you know, he's, um, 
he's he's immature and he's headstrong and he's self-conscious and insecure and desperate and um make short-sighted decisions and there's there's just a lot about him that is very frustrating and i i doing all watching all of these movies for for um uh in written preparation for this episode i it is refreshing to see him get to play someone who is not a bad person like you said but um a, com- a, a complex flaw. person yes yeah. that's yeah. that is flawed that's a good you know yeah. it, you're, you're not wrong it's it's the kind of thing well that's what a play does it gives you a character that has to be all these things because it's a certain kind of reality and you need a lot of you know different kinds of events to happen different interactions to happen with the different characters and you know in the best versions of this the fact that it's a play doesn't really matter i have a huge thing about plays being adapted into movies because i tend to find them stagey and it's it makes it extra special when regardless of if i recognize the staginess or not i'm enjoying the i'm i'm into i'm engaged by what the what a filmmaker has done to mm. put this in a cinematic you know form as opposed to just filming the thing i think going back to denzel i guess i think fences actually really works uh, as a cinematic experience where as much as i like the performances I like doubt bothers me. Like I, I, I could never like got clammed onto doubt as much as I know others have, because it just, it doesn't, it didn't feel like it transcended well enough as far as the stage. That's neither here nor there. I'm trying to get the down, the, the doubt army <laughs> to come against me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, first for, for uh, raising the sun, um, you have, yeah, you have what playing this, this guy who has a, a new, a, a numerous issues that come up and, what I love, what's something that I really noticed because I hadn't like seen this in such a way before. He's very physical in this performance because it's yeah. like he's playing a, that's, you know, it's like a stage performance, except it's, you know, on film. But he's very like big with hands and he's really, you know, when he's talking about certain kind, like uh, certain amounts of money, he's like putting his hand on his forehead and like really expressing himself in a way. There's a lot of like bigness to the point, but it doesn't like it, what it doesn't take away from the film. It's, it's still like, he's putting me in that moment, regardless of how like maybe over the top it might be. It's because it's because of his talents and because of the way it's filmed that I'm, I'm right there in that moment, understanding the various forms of dilemmas that he's facing or what he is arguing with his wife or his, his mother, his mother, right? Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> the, the various characters that enter in and out of this apartment. Um, it's, it's stuff that like, I'm just right there in that moment, really appreciating it. Yeah, I think I think the that energy, that physicality, and that bigness mm-hmm. is also. I think it's um, very much helps you understand Walter. I, I mentioned before. I described him as as desperate. He he like his life is defined by, and maybe this is also part of the way that the staging, the the play, sure, the plainness of it all uh, uh, helps. The fact that the entire, almost the entire movie takes place in this small apartment and that gets to Walter. That's has been his entire life. Those, those same four walls. Mm-hmm. And he's so desperate to break out that uh, I think that, that the, the bigness isn't just like him. He's not hamming it up. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he has, he has all of this energy and he has no place to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other 1961 uh, movie for me, another Martin Ritt uh, movie uh, and a very different performance from the one we just uh, de- described. Uh, Paris Blues. Have you seen Paris Blues? I've not seen Paris Blues. Okay, so uh, here he is cool as a cucumber. He's a professional jazz mu- musician living in Paris. 
he plays in the band of Paul Newman, who is a now I'm trying to remember what what uh instruments everyone plays. But Paul Newman is like the band leader. Okay. Um and uh uh Sidney Poitier plays in in his band and um it's implied that like Sidney Poitier has what it takes to like have his own career as a jazz musician to uh tour with other people other than just playing this one club all the time but he doesn't like to leave Paris because Paris uh which is also something that um I think James Baldwin talked about in I Am Not Your Negro that 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 uh Paris is a place where he feels least uh discriminated against um not that and there are examples in the movie but still like there's still some othering going on but uh he is an american who has zero desire to return to america because he he has found a place where he is not constantly questioned or or judged or treated uh uh suspiciously and it's funny i I just watched round midnight on the new criterion blu-ray which i'd never seen before but i've always wanted to it's that essentially like it has this wonderful performance from um from uh, dexter gordon's character who was nominated for an oscar it's like it's only it's like one of his only acting roles he got nominated he's just this bigger than life uh jazz musician guy that's living in paris um in the 50s um and gets along and just fine (laughs) he's 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 well respected and everything like it's just a it's interesting it's interesting to see that that framework be employed and what you're saying about Paris blue movie that I do want to see, uh, yeah. because look at this cast. Uh, yeah, right. and this, and then, uh, yeah, what I haven't gotten to is what happens is, uh, Joanne Woodward and Diane Carroll play a couple of friends on vacation together. And they, um, both have, uh, you know, vacation romances with Paul Newman and, and Sidney Poitier and, and Diane Carroll is, you know, saying like, you shouldn't abandon us black Americans. You know, you should, you should come back. It's, uh, I don't know. It's irresponsible or, or it's, you're putting your head in the sand or whatever. And that's, that's sort of the, the, mm-hmm. uh, friction of their, uh, of, uh, of their relationship. Um, which is interesting, uh, I, I guess, because. Oh, Paris Blues on Hoopla. All right. I'm going to watch this I'm pretty, scene. I'm pretty sure that's how I watched it. Yeah. Um, there are very few. I'm trying to look. look. Uh, there's one we'll get, we'll get to later that I, that I really uh, appreciate, but there are relatively few movies in his filmography in, in which the topic of race comes up within the black community. It often seems like, like I was saying, like Sidney Poitier represents, he has to represent blackness to uh, a, a white scene and, and uh, you know, like I said, presumably a white audience. Mm-hmm. And um, so these conversations between Sidney Poitier and D- Diane Carroll are a different uh, uh, wrinkle to that. Yeah, and that's interesting because you're not wrong. Like the notion of bringing race into media involving the black people are it's like there's there's an inherent uh, understanding to begin with so it's you can read however you want to but it's also you know and then this is like black exploitation in a nutshell it's like 
black people just want to make movies. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't, you know, uh, you can, you can inherently involve race to some degree and many do obviously, but it, at the same time, it's like, it's okay to just have black people, you know, go on a date, <laughs> like, yeah. go, go, go see a thing. Events happen. Drama transpires. It has nothing to do with the, uh, with the man or oppression. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a, that was a good part of uh, the nineties and two thousands. Then it changed for a while for some reason. And then it came back. <laughs> so. You're talking like when you t- say nineties and two thousands, you're talking about like, I talk about like black films, uh, yeah. <laughs> things like, I don't know, the best man, uh, yeah, so. the, the age of Morris chestnut is what yeah. I'm talking yeah, about. Exactly. Like, yeah. I love the brothers and like, uh, the wood between love and hate. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, I, what's it? Oh, it's coming to criteria too. Um, love Jones, love Jones, right. another yeah. one. Um, yeah, there's <laughs> for whatever reason, things change. I don't know if Tyler Perry benefited or not, but it always made money. So I can't halt him. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, unless you've seen pressure point, which I haven't, uh, uh, no, we're moving on to 1963's lilies of the field, which mm-hmm. I'm going to say is one of, this was a blind spot for me that I watched in, in preparation for this, uh, this episode and Holy shit. What a movie. Yeah. I, I feel like great. <laughs> the way that this movie, like, uh, uh, I think about how much like, and I try not to let this uh, happen, but like mm-hmm. home video covers or key art, or whatever, how influence. much they like, yeah, influence. And I feel like Lilies of the Field always looks like a sort of uh, melodrama. It looks like it's going to be like yeah. a prestige melodrama. It's it's not. This is a, a a movie that's so vital and so full of of life. And again him playing a character with a lot of flaws he's a generally like he's he's not a bad guy but he is very proud um and and uh is very hesitant to make connections to other people um and even when he wants to help he wants to help on his own in his own way yeah uh it's it, it's a it's a fantastic performance there's a uh, stubbornness that comes from yeah. basically life experience where it's like well you know i there's an implied history with who he is and you know he comes into the life of these women and it's and alone, you know things like language barriers or what have you that just create like natural levels of tension and yet it's still like an enjoyable drama <laughs> it's still like a very likable uh, movie yeah. and, i mean and you're saying like the the key art and what have you could it even just like laying out the log line where it's like black man comes and makes the, the the lives of these women in this society better. It's like, yeah. All right. Like that sounds like a magical Negro movie, but it's not like it, there's, it's more layered and textured than something like that. Yeah. It's, it's um, because often in the, yeah, the magical Negro trope mm-hmm. uh, it's the, the, the quote unquote magical Negro is not the main character. Yeah. It's this. And, and he's generally the main character, although there is a, there's a whole section of the movie that he's not in, which is very important. Mm-hmm. He, he leaves for a while. Uh, but if you listen, if you don't know, it's a, it's, it takes place in somewhere in the American Southwest and like the remote, like desert type of uh, terrain where there's a group of, are they German, German nuns? Yes. The German, in, German, the it's, it's German, Austrian and Hungarian. nuns. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, living in this convent in the, in the desert. Um, then they, 
don't have uh, i say convent because that's technically what it is but if you're picturing like you know uh, uh, a big nunnery with a courtyard and columns like no it's a little house in the desert yeah. and but they want to build a church right now they're the the priest of the area uh is conducting mass in the parking lot of the like general store slash diner like soda counter um uh, and they're they want to build a a church and he agrees to 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 help them um and it's quite a journey uh for him um i feel like there was something else i was going to say about the movie but uh it's it's so good I, i think it's i think it might be my single favorite Sydney Poitier performance. Uh, I put it in my top five for sure. Like I haven't, I haven't actually ranked any of these. <laughs> it's yeah, just no, like, I just yeah. thought of that on top of my head. No, that's fair. Cause I mean, I mean, this is his one and only competitive acting Oscar win. Um, I mean, earned, um, yeah. you can argue that for other things as well, but you know, we'll get there. Um, but no, he's, he's great in it. And yes, he is playing a, yeah it's a it's a character i i watching because i i had seen this is when i saw clips in in school and then i finally like watched the whole thing and it's like god this is yeah this this i could i'm I'm glad the oscars saw this but even regardless of awards it's just like this is a great this is a really great it it stands its uh test of time and in the approval that it got and what have you like it's it's very good it's very very worth uh seeing if you want to catch up on like the things that make Sidney Poitier, Sidney Poitier, this is an essential, essential picture. Yeah. I can't believe I put it off for so long. Um, all right. Uh, what's next for you? I've got one in 1965. I have a patch of blue in 65. Oh, okay. I have, uh, the slender then I've, uh, Oh, three. Jeez Louise. So (laughs) I haven't seen 1964's the long ship, long ships, and I've never seen, 1965 is the greatest story ever told. It's, it's weird because it's long. It is, but it's supposed to be the greatest story ever told. I'm not sure yeah. why we haven't. You know, we should all just yeah. all you know all the all the battleship protection community should just get together and watch the greatest story ever told. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Um, but so I'll start 1965 with um, James B. Harris's The Bedford Incident. This movie is so fun. <laughs> it's like it's a very much a dad movie. It's very oh. much like a crimson tide type of even though it's not a submarine movie it's a like uh naval yeah that, yeah where uh once again richard would richard would Widmark. richard Widmark, uh not playing a uh violently racist man this time but still playing not a great guy sort of a captain Bly type of like uh a guy who uh he's a captain of a ship who runs his ship uh uh with an iron fist um and most of the uh, seamen on his ship uh, seem to respond well to it, but uh, he starts to go overboard when he's tracking a Russian sub through like these icebergs, and and uh, he becomes like obsessive and starts, you know, he's potentially putting his uh, crew's lives in in, in danger. Um, uh, uh, but. Um, and this is very much a supporting role. the The lead of this movie is probably, I would say, Martin Balsam's character, who is the brand new like ship doctor who has just joined. Uh, and then Sidney Poitier plays a photographer, like a, a photojournalist who's come along to document. 
thing. This is the movie I'm most annoyed that I couldn't watch um, in full because I've I've seen like I have vague memories and I've seen parts of this before, and I was like, why why is this the one that's not like immediately available for me to watch? <laughs> and, it's, and I and I will if I have to end up like buying it or some, buying some yeah. version of it or something, I might just do that because for one thing, I just like this premise, but also. Uh, Marty Balsam is a favorite of mine. Wow. <laughs> I, I love seeing him yeah. in films. He is such an interesting character actor to me. So I, I, it's like, yeah, all right. That's that's an easy sell if you're telling me he's Balsam's going to show up in some form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it feels like a pejorative to say, like it's a, a quintessential dad movie, but it's not. It's it's very much a dad type of movie. Yeah, fair. In, in the best way. Okay, so and then 19, I won't spend too long on the Slender Thread because coincidentally we talked about it last week because it played, <laughs> it played TCM, uh, the TCM Classic uh, Film Festival. But um, uh, and and yeah, I think um, uh, Julie kind of uh, talked about how uh, how interesting his performance is. That it's like the the premise of the Slender Thread. If people who didn't listen last week is Sidney Poitier is a volunteer at like a. Uh, crisis hotline or suicide type crisis hotline and Anne Bancroft plays a woman who um, has taken an overdose of barbiturates and is has called and is like wants to just talk to someone while she dies and so the movie has this sort of like he's talking to her but he's also like frantically trying to find out where she's calling from to get the paramedics there to try and 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 save her and and, and Julie talked about how the she expected to see a movie about a a guy who's really dedicated to his job and good at it and one of the things that's fascinating about the character in Cindy Poitier's performance is that he's just like a, a a grad student who took this job as you know to sit and study late at night and and uh because it would look good on his resume to say that he volunteered and he actually has no idea what he's doing and occasionally like loses his patience and yells at this woman who's dying uh yeah it's a it's a it's a pretty good movie and um uh, I know it's a Sydney Pollock movie, and I was like, "This sounds like a very Sydney Pollock premise." I'm like, "Oh, this is his first movie." <laughs> yeah, it's his first movie. Yeah, <laughs> it also has uh, Telly Savalas is in it as the doctor who runs the suicide hotline. Um, Ed Asner shows up at the end as a as a detective, hmm. and then I have to say, I I, I must have missed it. According to IMDb, Dabney Coleman is in this movie, but I missed that it was dabney coleman because he's okay. not like i know 80s dabney coleman i don't know 60s dabney coleman i guess i like the idea of savalas working at a suicide prevention hotline yeah <laughs> it's like don't do it why who loves you baby yeah. i do <laughs> uh okay so i'm glad that you have seen uh a patch of blue because i watched this too and this this along with lilies of the field were probably my two favorite discoveries in, in yes yeah. yeah i just like I, I saw that this is one. This is a new one for me for sure. Um, I saw it was available to watch. I'm like, cool, all right. And I saw the premise. Um, and I was like, well, that's that's interesting. So he play, like, City Playas plays like, plays like an ad man or something. Like, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just like a regular businessman. He discovers this uh, young woman um, played by um, Elizabeth Hartman, um, who's blind, um, and. And uh, like it's like she's more of the focus of this thing. Like he more enters into the life of her, um, and basically he they strike up a relationship, and it it wavers between like he just genuinely has a level of affection for her, but also 
he feels sorry for her in the situation she's in. She has a horrible mother played by Shelly Winters. Um, Who won an Oscar for this role, by the way. Yeah, because why not? Um, Elizabeth Hartman uh, was nominated. He was nominated. And then this is like, I think this is, it's, she doesn't do a lot after this. Like she's like, this is like her key thing. Like she's in some stuff, but she's in the beguiled. She's in the beguiled. The original child died fairly young. That's the other. Yeah, um, that's that's what I was getting to. She she doesn't do a lot, and then she like passes in like her forties. Yeah, um, she died in 1987. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Life. Yeah, yeah. Um, but regardless, she's very good in this film. Um, and the the uh, the relationship that that uh, Poitier and her have it's it is intriguing because it, it's it's an interesting line to walk as far as being a man that has a level of sympathy for obvious reasons, but also it's like, and you know, it's also, you know, she's blind and it's an interracial relationship, which is like, that's an interesting dynamic. Um, especially in for a, what, a 60, 65, 65, 1960s film. Um, there's just, there's some interesting ideas going on there as far as how to like put these two together and what that means. But what'd you think of this thing? Um, I think what, what really, uh, struck me, what really stuck out to me is that, uh we keep saying who's the, what's the blank we should what's her name her uh, name is selena. selena selena's home life is not like movie bad yeah like <laughs> okay this movie is uncompromising in how awful like shelly winters is terrible terrible she's a terrible person um and uh i mean even the 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 situation that led to uh, the incident that led to Selena being blind is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it definitely felt more watching some of these, some of these, uh, you know, more melodramatic movies, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but um, to see something that felt so raw all of a sudden um, well, uh, really stuck out to me you, you uh, know what this is such a weird example there the, what i get from it as far as like her relationship with her with her mother with like that that life it's this weird example that i go to where it's the the first spider-man movie where peter parker has like a nice house and he lives with rosemary to um uh harris and and um Uncle Ben, what's his name? Uh, whatever. Uh, but next, right next door, like Mary Wait, Jane, who's you know, Cliff Roberts. Cliff Robertson, yeah, thank yeah. You, Jesus Christ. But right next door, Mary Jane's like having. She seems like a, a you know a fairly average nice person, and like her father's like you're trash, and you've always been trash. And it's like, <laughs> like, geez, like this is right next door. This is like horrible situations going yeah. on. Yeah, that's that's like that's a go to when I think yeah. of like horrible li- horrible private lives compared to like the seemingly pleasant outdoor exterior of it all. Uh, well, They're like speaking, in the city. They live in the city, right? They live in... Well, speaking of outdoor exteriors, it, it wouldn't be me if I didn't call out the Los Angelesness of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, this, play, this movie has uh, a lot of location photography um, along Alvarado between 6th and 7th and in <laughs> MacArthur Park. Like MacArthur Park plays itself. Mm-hmm. They actually go to Langer's Delicatessen at one point in the movie. Like they go and get pastrami sandwiches and take them into the park and like uh, uh, Selena's never had pastrami before. She's talking about how she loves pastrami. It's like in a very specific neighborhood way. It is a very LA movie, uh, and especially if you like, I, I am always fascinated by seeing my city, Los Angeles, um, in as it looked in the past, and not not mm-hmm. like 
uh, not playing something else, but actually like this is this is what Alvarado between sixth and seventh looked like now. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Patch of Blue, big major discovery for me. Yeah, good I, movie. I, I have not seen Duel of Diablo. I haven't seen good. any of his westerns. I was gonna say real quick, good ending too. I I yeah. was I, I was. Um, yeah. It's it's not very Hollywood in a way that it could have been. Um, so I, I appreciated that about that. Um, okay, have you seen Duel Diablo? No, I have not. Yeah, I haven't it, seen any. I, I agree. I also have not seen any um, westerns. Uh, yeah, that's it. it's too bad because he made a few of them. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I certainly want to catch up with some. <laughs> I uh, sure he conducts have, himself well. I have seen To Serve with Love. I have too. It's not my favorite. Um. Again, it's like like this is the one I was talking about with Blackboard Jungle. Where it's, he's on the other side of the equation now. He's the inspirational teacher, and I think maybe that this format, this this subgenre of movie, I just don't uh, generally like. But also, this is not the point. But uh, he repeatedly calls his female students sluts in the movie, and I had to look it up and like be like, okay. At the time, like that word slut wouldn't necessarily have meant sexually promiscuous. It was just like it meant like mm-hmm. unkempt, dirty girl or whatever. Still definitely sexist, but maybe not as bad as it sounds. But it's just well, it's so also weird it's, it's also in, say, don't be a slut. It's also in England. And they seem yeah, there's yeah. like, you know, there's a different temper or uh, te- tempo to the way that we use certain <laughs> like pieces of slang or ridicule yeah. or what have you that doesn't always reflect um that said because i watched this one pretty re- like like a year ago or something it was it was certainly during the pandemic i know that for sure because i got it has an indicator has a really good blu-ray on it um hmm. but uh I, it made me think of this this what this french movie the class um where a french teacher calls someone a slur or like it's suggested that he uses that word and that becomes a major plot point. And I was like, this is interesting. <laughs> like how, how Europe um, uses this word and the ramifications that it could have. Um, regardless, I can agree with you to a point. Like I don't mind teacher movies. It's just more of there's ones that are good and ones that are very clearly overwrought um, in what they're trying to, what they're accomplishing. It's a formula, right? I mean, yeah. I feel like it, it, it better applies to like sports coach movies. I think uh-huh. those, those tend to turn out better. Um Yeah. The spirit yeah, of competition, I, like I think, good, helps with that. I think I like so. a good sports movie. Yeah, but and like specifically, like you know, there's plenty of good sports movies. I, I mean, you know, ones where it's like the coach comes in and he's mean, but he's also training the kids to be better. It's like a very good formula because yeah. it's like, well, there's a there's an arc here, and I I yeah. rep- I get it, and the coach performance is usually the centerpiece, and it's usually pretty good. So it's hard to hard to hard to argue against it. A teacher movie like this, where it's like, yeah, the kids are rowdy, and the kid the the teacher's a hard ass, then they find a middle ground. Yeah, it is what it is. But that said, Tiffany Plotty also gets to dance. And um, <laughs> and what's her name? Because she does the theme song. Lulu. Uh, Lulu okay. Lulu's in the movie also, and she does the theme song. And the only thing I knew Lulu from before this, because I'm not, you know, a 60s uh, pop repertoire, um, is she did the theme song for The Man with the Golden Gun. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which is like such a stretch of a song. <laughs> like, all right, well, they went for it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, should we move on to In the Heat of the Night? Sure. I mean, this one's yeah. This, this, this could like, be a whole episode. Honestly, I mean, it's the, yeah, it's the elephant in the room because it's so big that it's like, how do you talk about it? Um, do you want to talk? Do you want to? We're going chronological, so you want to get to the other ones later because I I've seen all of them and I have thoughts on all of them. Uh, wait, the other 
the sequels, the two sequels. Yeah, we'll, to the, we'll get yeah. we'll get to we'll them get later. There. I, I have not seen seen them. I've only seen in the heat of the night, which I've seen multiple times and watched yes, again. I um, too. In, in I watched it with the commentary. Um, oh, with um, with uh, Jewison and uh, who else is on? Oh, uh, Rod Steiger is on it. And he curses up a storm, and it's wonderful. Um, <laughs> and they're they're it's like a, it's three people. I think I think it's like a one of the producers. Yeah, it's it's Walter Marsh. It's the producer. Uh, and they're recorded separately. Um, so it's like this because I, you know, I've seen that movie plenty of times. So I never watched the commentary oh. before. It's good commentary. <laughs> a lot of good stuff. Uh, yeah, but I, I just I don't know what else to 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 say about the movie that hasn't been said. Well, I'll I'll before. tell you right. You know, as a, as as the the black man on this podcast, any you know, I the him walking in with with Steiger into the um the greenhouse with the yeah. with the white man who you know is already you know acting a fool the way he's talking <laughs> and and he gets to a point where he gives that little slap to Sidney Poitier and just every time I, I like I feel like I, I I stop it rewind it and watch the scene multiple <laughs> times every time because it's such a because I like looking at all the other reactions of the room also because you have Steiger standing in the background you have a, the black servant with like right. lemonade or whatever he's standing there also and they all make faces when it goes off and it's wonderful when he just reaches and slaps him right back in the face no hesitation <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then there's that gr- just a, a one like the best pause i could you could imagine as if the camera goes to steiger and he's looking at him he's looking at poitier it goes to poitier and he's looking at him and it goes to the white man and he's like rubbing his face all aghast and it's yeah. just such a there's so much else going on so much more going on in this movie but that that particular moment is so like iconic uh, and a wonderful gift to use in many situations um but it's 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 just it's a highlight of the film that um has, has a lot of it it does a lot of good for like what Poitier is playing there and the dynamic that's formed between him and, and Steiger and him interacting in this world as this fish out of water cop. It's a, it's, it's well, funny there. I think part of the reason I'm glad you said fish out of water. Cause I'm going to get to that. Like mm-hmm. part of the reason that, that, that slap is, is so effective is because he knows what it means when yeah. he does that. And I think there's, you know, you were t- talking about with one of the other movies, like you could read the log line of the movie and, and, and think like, oh, this is this big city cop who doesn't understand this small town's ways. That's not what's going on. Mm-hmm. He he absolutely understands what people see when he walks into a room, what he's risking when he insists on his own autonomy and pride and personhood and, and authority and expertise. He, he understands what he's doing. He understands the risk he's taking. Uh, and that makes the person all the more noble, whatever, but it also makes the movie all the more tense. Very much. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's not like, Oh, this guy's going to get himself in trouble. It's like, he, no, he knows, he knows what he's doing. And, 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 uh, he's not going to back down. He knows what he's good at. And that's, that's his his pride that he's good at his at his job and and he's going to be good at his job uh no matter who has anything to say about it i i don't know like enough about sydney poitier like in you know real life like his kind of demeanor or what have you um and i'd like to think he was like you know like he, he has marriages and presumably friendships with certain actors that are uncouth uh, these days. But regardless, uh, the Virgil Tibbs character feels like this seems like the kind of guy he probably is for the most part, <laughs> which is probably why he played him multiple times, but it seems like closest to like the kind of person he might actually be. So on that, 
uh, you know, knows, knows his way around a room is yeah. smart, can get over in over his head, maybe sometimes, but certainly knows how to be respectful as well. And will treat, treat people how they treat him, that kind of thing. Like it, I think there's, there's, I think there, I feel like the, the commitment he had to that character very much reflects the kind of person he either, mm. you know, felt himself being closest to or aspired to, you know, have more in common with or what have you. Um, it's no surprise that he's, I think he was on like the AFI heroes list for virtual tips, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and obviously he has like the big, big quote and everything. And the, yes. that dynamic between him and Steiger is wonderful. Steiger's great in that movie. He won the Oscar that year for in the heat of the night. And I, you know, it's yeah. 67 is a crazy year. So it's like, yeah, yeah. okay, fine. Like <laughs> there's a lot of people that gave good performances. Um, and yeah, I love, uh, it's a great character introduction for Rod Steiger. Like, yeah. a, a man has been murdered, and here we have this this uh, a stranger in town that Warren Oates is arrested and, and dragged in to uh, as a, as a suspect. And Rod Steiger just can't get over not getting his window AC unit to work. He's <laughs> just like focused on getting. Uh, it's a great little character introduction. And yeah, you mentioned Rod Steiger, mentioned Warren Oates. Uh, great cast. You also got Lee Grant. Lee Grant. Yeah. Uh, also in a small but uh, somewhat important role, a young Scott Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah way a few years ago um the only that this is not a complaint about the movie in fact i think it it uh uh speaks to how good the movie is every time i watch it i'm like I, i'm not sure that i buy the way he solved like as a detective story mm-hmm. i'm not sure that it actually all comes together like as 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 well as it seems but i don't care uh, yeah like, yeah. We're, we'll get back to this when we talk about they call me Mr. Tibbs. <laughs> I'll put it that way because I have there's okay. a, I have some interesting thoughts after watching these uh, both. Something that we should be noting about is these two, um, the, like in the heat of the night and to serve with love. These are massive hits at the box okay. office. These are huge. Like it, like it's not like it's one thing that they're award winners or what have you, but it's like people are seeing these movies and you know in the heat of the night you have Rod Steiger and Sidney Poitier, great actors. Once again, an interracial collaboration. Uh, Norman Jewison's doing his thing, like it's and it and it's huge. Like it makes the money. It does the it it, it for like you have Poitier's name above the title lead star at this point. He's all over the you know he's a huge international star, um, and it's it is nice that he's just like become this success as far as you know. He's not he's an he's the you know the first black man to win a competitive Oscar. He's a he's a he's a movie star and he's respected. Like he has everything going for him in that in in terms of like career he's in it like in the this is 67 but we have another movie to talk about also which is also a hit uh this is like i i guess peaks plotier as far as like his movie stardom goes and, and his prestige like the prestige aspect of what he has going for him like there's just a lot here um and it's it does make me wonder as you brought up the uh the idea of how much he seems to represent the people um given how <laughs> how lacking there is and other people that are like him at that time point in time yeah so i guess we should move on to guess who's coming to dinner reunited with with stanley kramer um and this is a movie that i don't love but i also like you're talking about contextualizing it. like mm-hmm. it's it's a big deal this movie was a was a uh it was a hit right this one oh yeah it was a hit big Uh, you got spencer tracy and hepburn together with poitier (laughs) like that's a that's a multi-quadrant movie right there and when i like i can't help but think about it in today's terms or 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 think about it like i was talking about the idea of a movie that's clearly made first and foremost of the white audience Mm -hmm. in mind yeah uh also 
the way that um, conversations about uh, black identity and and racial justice and stuff have have changed, uh, the movie sometimes feels out of step. You know, when Sidney Poitier like says to his father, like you see yourself as a, as a black man. And I see myself as a man like not, but these days we've got a much more awareness of like, no, if you're ignoring a person's blackness or whatever, their, whatever their race, if you're ignoring a race, you're ignoring something that is crucial to them. So the idea of Sidney Poitier's character, like the idea, the suggestion that he is more evolved because he has shrugged off his blackness is is hard to justify with today's conversation. Uh, go ahead. No, that's that's a it's it's an interesting point. And uh, his character in this movie, I mean, the what I I agree with you. Like, I like this movie a lot. I, it wouldn't be like the best necessarily, but it's it's easy to watch for one thing. But also it. It, it it has more interesting ideas than I think it knows how to knows what to do with, frankly, just because you have all this star power. <laughs> There's only so much you can do with this premise. So much star power, yeah. Yeah. And Catherine Hepburn's not the best in this movie, which is a shame. Um she'll be better in other movies. It's not Hepburn, sorry. Um um Who who's the who's his his fiance? Like the the um Catherine Houghton. Houghton Houghton. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's like, it up too. Yeah. It's a it's a weak link <laughs> in a cast. It's like, oh, if we had a stronger, maybe this would have, I don't yeah. know, did something different. Regardless, Claudia is like his character's, you know, he's in the when he's talking to his father, yes, it come it becomes this like interesting dynamic as far as what what what's his name in this movie? So I can stop calling Claudia. Um Dr. John Wade, uh, John Prentice. John Wade Prentice. We have Dr. Prentice. Um yeah, it's a bit of, I mean, it's kind of code switching as far as what he's doing here because he wants to present himself a certain way. But the thing is, he's perfect. Like, he's a perfect guy. Like, that's the whole thing that makes it interesting for that dynamic between him and, and uh, Tracy and Hepburn. Because it's like, it's not just like, like Tracy doesn't, you know, he's not thinking of himself as a racist. Um, and he has his daughter wanting to be with this black man. And it's like, there's there's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing inherently wrong with this person. He's, a do- he's a doctor he's perfect and yet he has a reaction and it you know causes drama what have you uh but then yeah when you have him when you have dr prentice meeting up with his own father and the the way he exists in reality that's something that again i wonder how that you, i see that reflecting in the way certain black actors uh, present themselves in a general sense and i think of someone like will smith where the factor of race does not come up very much uh certainly in the Certainly in the movie, in the, the beyond like jokes he makes or things that, you know, quips that come his way in the in his like blockbuster sense, him being black is almost a non-entity. Um, and it's only till you know, it's in you can see it in some like the in Fresh Prince. You can see it in the, some of the lines he had in some of the more dramatic roles he takes later on. But in like his the peak of his career, he's he somehow managed to find a way to get past the the fact that he's a black man and just be like a movie star and uh, it's interesting to watch wadia in this movie and have that kind of topic be brought up as is uh yeah as what's defining him and how he how he chooses to react to that um 
Interesting you mentioned Will Smith, though, because uh, it's uh, notable that one of Will Smith's earliest film roles was in Six Degrees of Separation. Mm-hmm. Where he plays a con man who worms his way into Upper East Side society by pretending to be Sidney Poitier's son. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's a great movie, by the way. I, yeah, I, I was on HBO Max. So I watched it pretty recently again. And it's like, God, he is really like, <laughs> he's like really good in this. Like this, yeah. uh, him and uh, what's her name? Um, Stalker Channing? Lead? Yeah, Stalker Channing. Who, she got nominated, right? She was, because she's great in that movie. She um, yeah. She's, uh, uh, there's a line that she has in that, in that movie that is like, I think, revelatory of her, about her character's sort of like, uh, uh, out of touchness but she says whenever i read about striking coal miners i always pictured these very striking coal miners modeling <laughs> the fall fashions <laughs> all right um uh let's move on to a movie that is fascinating um it's not great but it's also definitely worth your time uh have you seen 1968's for love of ivy i have not seen um i have only seen it because um someone i want to say kino put a blu-ray out like oh five or six years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what's notable here is if you click on uh, writing credits uh, on IMDb, uh, story by Sidney Poitier. Um, And this is when I was talking before about um, uh, in Paris Blues, like him and Diane Carroll, um, uh, two black characters having conversations about uh, where they stand in American society. Uh, that's what a lot of For Love of Ivy is, which means it is, I have to say, so, the movie it can sometimes be quite dry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I say it's not great, but it is uh, really interesting that this is the story he wanted to tell. Basically, um, Ivy, played by Abby Lincoln, is the um, maid uh, to live in maid to a wealthy white family. Um and she decides to quit that job and go to, 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 to school or something. It's been a while since I've watched it. Um, and the family are like, well, we love her. We want to keep her around. So they think, you know what? She, she needs a man. That's what it is. Uh, so here you've got like uh, well-meaning uh, white liberals um, making decisions or projecting onto uh, this black character. So, the reason they're wealthy is because they own, I want to say it's a department store. It could be a grocery store. Like I said, it's been a while, but the family owns a department store and Sidney Poitier's character owns a delivery company that delivers to, to them. He owns a bunch of trucks. So he's like, he's also a, a not as wealthy as them, but he's a very su- successful uh, businessman. And he's also a, you know, uh, uh, you know, like like George Clooney before uh, uh, he got uh, before he met. Oh shit! What's her name? Uh, his wife, Alma. Damn it. Uh, anyway, but he's uh, uh, committed to not being married. He's got uh, it. He's a he's a, a single guy. A and bachelor. So they, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I was gonna. I like. I was gonna like. But the like. There's a phrase confirmed bachelor, which means mm. gay man. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's not that. Um uh he's a he's a playboy basically. There you go. Okay. Uh, and uh but they the the family are like no you got to go on a date with our with our maid. And they end up going on a couple dates and most of the movie is sort of comprised of their like conversations about what is um expected of them 
by white society also what is expected by them of the black community at the same mm-hmm. time and you also get some shades um uh, again like you were you were saying he never played a bad guy but you get some shades of this is a this is a complicated uh guy he may be like uh, uh is he's he's full of himself but also we find that his the money he's made doesn't come solely from his trucking operation i'll mm-hmm. say that that he has uh, fingers in some other less savory parts of the uh the local economy um really interesting uh movie and just really fascinating that like this was the story that he wanted to tell after starring in all of these uh, movies, so many movies that are about race and, and, and many of them uh, in such a clear cut way. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie getting in and getting, uh, getting its hands a little dirtier is uh, I think r- revealing about what uh, he wanted to say. Okay. What's your next one? No, oh, I know it's they call me Mr. Tibbs, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Yeah, so they call me Mr. Tibbs. It's the sequel to In the Heat of the Night, the first of two, um, giving uh, Sidney Poitier a, a franchise. And I believe the first like cop franchise for any actor for a color movie series, uh, which I found to be interesting. Um, interesting. It's like because yeah. Dirty Harry's after this uh, at this point. So, um, What's interesting about this first one is this first sequel is that it, you know, in the, the night's very specifically about a black man in the South dealing with a very specific crime. This movie has nothing to do with race whatsoever. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's, it's set in San Francisco. His contemporaries are a mix of, you know, black and white people. Um, and it's just a straight up cop mystery movie. Uh, Martin Landau is the co-star of there. He's suspected of, of murder and he's also friends with Sydney Poitier with Virgil Tibbs. So it creates an interesting tension there. Cause you, you know, you don't know who committed the crime and whether or not it's actually Martin Landau or not. Um, and it's what well, the thing is, it's solid. Like it's certainly not like a classic in the same way that he, the night is, but as far as like seventies cop movie go, uh, this is a, this is just a solid, like, you know, little mystery. Um, Poitier, he's riding completely on like his movie stardom at this point. So that's selling a lot of this. But I was, I was curious, like, is it like, is it just like him in another like town getting like hassled because he's black? He was like, Nope, not at all. Like, it's just a, he just, he's just like in the heat of the night, the whole thing is I'm just waiting for a train to get back to where I need to go. Now he's gotten where he needs to go. And he's just, you know, set. Like it's just, he's just himself being a, being a good detective. Um, Wait, do they explain why he's in San Francisco? He got promoted. Like he now he's a lieutenant, because okay. <laughs> he's, he's going to like what Pennsylvania, right? That's where he's from. And well, know, he says, yeah, he says Philadelphia, and Roger Steiger says yeah. Mississippi. And I had to look it up. Like it, there is a Philadelphia. Yeah, there's Philadelphia, Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's, no, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. It's because I know it's also like there's a there's a book in the Heathen Knights a book, right? That's the other thing. Like it's based on a it's based on an actual character. This is just the character at this point they've and they've transplanted him to san francisco for whatever reason just because they for a sequel it makes you know it's nice that they mix things up as opposed to just doing like you know the same thing with bigger um it's just like no yeah he's just a cop doing a cop thing um which is like fine like the movie you know it's not uh, relevant in any way beyond just being effective at what it's doing 
but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I expected to because I just figured it would be like, okay, now we're just cashing in on Virgil Tibbs. But it's like, no, why do you want to do a thing? Quincy, Quincy Jones is still doing the music. So it's like, yeah. And it's more funky because it's like 70s and, uh, and in San Francisco as opposed to being in the South. So there's less twang in the soundtrack and more of just like funky jazz beats. So it's a solid little thriller. Yeah, I should have mentioned Quincy, Quincy Jones did the music for Slender Thread as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So I, acting-wise, I don't have anything else till Sneakers. Oh, well, I have things. Um, let's see. <laughs> what do I have here? Yeah, I uh, not too much, but I, I, have a, I, I have a couple. So after, so there's, of course, The Organization, um, the third and final film in the Virtual Tips trilogy. Um, it, you know, it's not bad. It's not great. Uh, it's another, like, cop movie um it, it it kind of incorporates race a little bit more but there's some notable things about it one while julia's in it um yeah. and he's quite good because he's Raul julia but he's like he's like fourth he's like in the fourth lead of the film and it's like oh cool Raul julia's in this movie that's fun um it has a lengthy opening sequence like so this movie uh tibbs is he gets pulled into this um, this situation where there's a group that's going after. Um, it's like a group of, of revolutionaries, and they're they're basically acting as vigilantes, and they're going after people that are like involved in like the drug trade, and they want to stop them. And Virgil Tibbs is involved, where it's like, well, I could arrest these guys, or I could also some kind of kind of team up with them. He's like, well, they're trying to get heroin off the streets, so it's like, well, yeah, all right, like I see, I respect your mission, even though you guys are. You know, you're going extreme ways to do something. Uh, but regardless, the film opens with this like 12, 13 minute, like heist like sequence where they're like oh. trying to get us get something out of a building and threatens people. But it's it's very obviously trying to be Rafifi, one of my favorite movies. And I was, I was so intrigued by how we've gone from the like potent race drama set in the South to like an yeah. ode to Jules Dassin. <laughs> like this is a, this is, this is a wild stretch yeah. that, we've, uh, that we've gone through here. Um, so like it has, it has little stuff, little things like that going for it. Quincy Jones did not do the music, which is part of, part of a letdown for me. It's, it's still like a decent score, but I was like, Oh, we didn't round this out with Quincy Jones doing the music for all these, but whatever. Um, but you know, Poitier, what, I mean, I keep finding this interesting because he's in total movie star mode in a cop trilogy and it's like that you know you learn, learning about Poitier as i was growing up and then like i eventually find out there were sequels to in the end of the night two of them he had a franchise that's such like that's not you know if you were to say like who Sidney Poitier was you wouldn't be like oh yeah he was yeah like this trilogy of cop movies yeah. at one point in his career <laughs> it's just like a, a, an interesting thing uh, that we're all like successful enough <laughs> to, to keep going so uh, uh so after this is when he started directing, and I said yeah. I haven't seen uh, any of his. Well, that's not true. I've seen Ghost Dad, but I haven't seen any of his early directorial efforts. I, I've seen Uptown Saturday Night, but not in a long time. And I keep, I keep not watching it because I'm like, that's got to be like a shout select release at some point. Like I can't, yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine this not coming out in some like nice package. Yeah. Um, the um, although it's difficult now because well, Cosby's involved in a lot of these movies. Right. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. The um. The American Cinematheque at the Los Feliz Theater did a whole uh, Poitier series, and they were they were showing Buck and the Preacher on thirty five millimeter, and I couldn't make it. I really mm. wanted to see because that's his directorial debut, mm -hmm. uh, and it's uh, one of those westerns he made that I haven't seen. He has an interesting like set of players he works with because it's like it's Belafonte, uh, Ruby D, of course, mm -hmm. Cosby, and, uh, and uh, Gene Wilder. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. I like that he like 
formed these friendships and just wanted to make like right. fun comedies with these people like over, yeah, over the years. Yeah, he directed a uh, Wilder Radner movie called Hanky Panky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen anything until Sneakers, and even Sneakers, I can't really talk about. I haven't seen it since I was like twelve. Well, I I'll, we'll get to Sneakers in a second. I saw the Wilby Conspiracy. This is okay. him and Michael Caine. Um, it's like it's it's almost like doing like a revamp of Defiant Ones. They're not they're chained together for a little bit actually, but like um, Sidney Poitier plays a uh, he's a um, like a, a black revolutionary during like apartheid times in South Africa, and he had just like gotten off because of Michael Caine's wife, who's like a I guess barrister, I think is the, the uh, okay. thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and Michael Caine's just like a random engineer. And the two of them, like basically because, because of driving while black, they get pulled over and become like fugitives because of like, a, things get taken way out of what go, things go way out of control uh, because it's apartheid in South Africa and it sucks. Uh, and there, it becomes this like, they're like, it's a, it's less like the defiance because they're friends from the start of this, but it does become this kind of adventure between these two guys navigating South Africa and getting into very cliched action sequences. And it was another one where I was watching it and thinking, this is just like, this is like Sydney Poitier on hold from doing something more important <laughs> uh, where it's like, he's good, of course. And Michael Caine's good, of course. And they're fun together, but it's like, this is such like a innocuous like, thing that happened during this time where it's like, well, it's Sydney Poitier. So he's expected to be in like movies like this to some degree, I guess. And it makes it better by default. Um, but it was just like, it was such a throwaway film, despite like having, these two guys and it was like well that's interesting that this exists this like adventure movie between these two yeah. guys yeah um so yeah, yeah. the that's the will be conspiracy what else yeah, yeah. there's and, also a sequel to to serve with love which i haven't seen yeah to serve it's, like with a, love it, too. it's like a tv sequel who directed that so there's someone directed that too um um loading. Uh, oh peter bogdanovich yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. wow <laughs> also another yeah recently departed <laughs> mm-hmm. uh uh, person so yeah um so yeah I, sneak have you seen sneakers recently i uh, so i not i've seen sneakers recently mainly because i because sneakers has like a pretty big cult following there's a lot of people that yeah. love sneakers i know i didn't see sneakers till i was in college for the first time and sneakers is 92 it's a technology movie and much like the net it's like right yeah all right like <laughs> that's cool i guess for the time but if you're not watching it then I don't think it has nearly the same impact that people that like grew up with it or saw it at the time might've had with it. So like, I, I didn't like fall head over heels for sneakers. I watched it again recently. Uh, I think also around the time he pat, no, I watched it before that it was, it was during the lockdown. I know that for sure. Right. Time blends here. Yeah. Um, but so I watched it again. I was like, no, I'm still not feeling <laughs> sneakers. Like it's not a bad movie. Baby. It's certainly fine. It has a fun cast. Yeah. It's that's, just, that's a big part of the, the, yeah the selling point yeah you got it you got redford as a lead in a heist kite movie he does that well uh, you, you have uh river phoenix as a pro as like the matt damon in oceans 11 uh you, you've got strathairn as like blind guy with sass <laughs> um, yeah. and sydney poitier oh, is like sydney yeah. poitier is the carl reiner of the group <laughs> he's, the, he's the old oh, pro okay. uh, and then ben kingsley's the andy girl everything's oceans 11 apparently uh, yeah. ben kingsley's oh, okay. the, the bad guy with the big wig you mentioned okay. david strathairn being blind and suddenly like Mm -hmm. chunks of the movie came back to me there you go (laughs) yeah 
there's a whole part where he's like in the trunk of a car. He gets kidnapped. He's like in the trunk of a car and they take him somewhere and he's able to like, yeah, he can like the guys back there because he's like counting the yeah, like, you can, yeah, bumps yeah. in the road and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. Oh man. And he's blind. So there's lots of blind jokes, of course, because yeah. that he makes specifically, he makes the blind jokes, which makes it, I guess. Okay. Um, I had a, a I guess <laughs> great uncle. I don't know. How, uh, who, who would, who, who would do that? Like, uh, uh, whenever we go to visit him, he'd like, my dad would walk in and, and uncle Bill would say like, looking good, Ed. And my dad would be like, <laughs> Oh, thanks. He's like, Oh, wait, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. Sneakers. Like, so I watched it again. It's like, they're the cat, the chemistry's good. You know, the, the plot's just, you know, it's pretty standard. I, I get that. It's not, you know, it's not, trying to achieve great things it's just like yeah what if we got all these guys together and had a good time and it's phil alden robinson so it's like you get a perfectly serviceable double basically as far as like things movies go uh and then the la- again the movie i remember almost nothing about the jackal so the jackal is the first movie i saw with sydney play <laughs> because i saw it in theaters with my mom um i so you saw jack black's arm get blown off with your mom as like a little kid yeah Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's That's pretty, the only part of the movie I remember. It's pretty gruesome. Yeah, because because it's Bruce Willis rocking that mustache and bleat in blonde hair, um, and is apparently gay. I guess in the movie also, um, or like he's the jackal. So it doesn't matter. The jackal's a terrible movie, by the way. Okay. I need to put. I need to keep this going all right now. Uh, the day of the jackal is fucking fantastic. The jackal is one of the worst remakes out there. <laughs> it's 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 really bad. It's not just because I find Richard Gere very boring um, and he's playing Irish in this movie for whatever reason. It's just, it's bad. It's a bad movie. Um, and you have Sidney Poitier giving his final screen performance. <laughs> it's like, okay. But at the time um, it's like, yeah, okay, Bruce Willis, let's go, let's go see this movie. And um, <laughs> Poitier's he plays like the, he plays like the, the, the older cop who has this wild idea, like, what if we got this Irish guy out of jail to help us find this assassin because we have leaked info about a possible assassination attempt. <laughs> and then Bruce Willis is motivated. Bruce Willis' whole thing is he's this skilled assassin and he has to assassinate what we find out is the, the vice, the first lady. And his plan is like the most elaborate, like gun possible that has like a remote control. And it, like, this guy's like the best assassin in the world. It needs like a remote controlled sniper rifle. That's <laughs> that needs to have precision accuracy, which he tests out on blackjack, uh, blackjack on Jack black. Yeah. Cause he has to like, he, he thinks like the, the, uh, the, the length, like the, the, the alignments off. And so he like makes Jack black run 50 yards and hold up like a cigarette packet. And then he yeah. shoots it. And he's like, he shoots his arm off and he's like, see, it's off. Yeah. <laughs> The 90s almost killed Jack Black for me, by the way. He started that, and I still know what you did last summer. I think in this, that's 98. It's, it's like back-to-back, back and I'm thinking, this guy keeps popping yeah. up and things, and he's not good. And fortunately, well, he, was in he won us all state. back. He's in it, yeah, He because he, he's great friends with Tony Scott, apparently. He has a deleted scene in True Romance also, so I don't know what's going on with Jack Black. I don't think I've ever watched the deleted scenes of True Romance. He plays, uh, when you know, they meet at the movie theaters. He plays the usher in the movie theaters that, like, in this deleted scene, he like shoot. He's like, okay, movie's over. Everybody get out of here. He's, he's, that's, he's like, that's the guy. Oh, wow. That's funny. And it's like, it, it, I always thought, because he's an enemy, enemy of the state, I'm like, so it's like, Tony's got just really like the Usher performance. <laughs> Tony had true romance. And he felt like, bad to, he had to cut him out. He I was need, like, let me, I need, I need to have this guy in the control room of Seth Green and yeah. I, and a blender and a blender and a blender yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and Jake, uh, Jake, Jake Busey. Busey. Yeah, that's right. And, um, 
I gotta watch Enemy of the State again. Bumford. That's what I'm taking away from the Sydney Poitier episode of all things. Is I think yeah. I gotta watch Enemy of the State again. It stars everybody. Everybody's in yeah. that movie. Tyler's Except in it. Sydney Poitier. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the Jackal, not good. Uh, but Sydney Poitier, he's a nice closing scene. If like, if I'm going by the last time you ever see Sydney Poitier in a moving motion, a, a cinematic motion picture, it's he looks at Richard Richard Gear and he's like, "Maybe I'll go get a soda." And uh, it'll take me 15 minutes because he's like letting him go. Essentially, he's like, you could be a prisoner that escapes. And he walks and then he just like politely walks off screen. He's like, well, I guess he went out. OK, as yeah. far as movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess speaking of movies, I don't remember Ghost Dad. I saw it when I was a kid. I yeah. don't remember much about it at all. I remember that I had the novelization of Ghost Dad. I'm sure it was thrilling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um but uh yeah this was uh this was fun uh to talk about these movies it's always fun to to do these profiles especially when we have uh a guest on who is who is passionate uh, uh about the subject yeah there's plenty of obviously there's many that i haven't seen as of yet and i look forward to catching up with them because i do just i i really i do really like what everything i've seen of sydney Plutty and i like like him as a person just seems like such a a genuine presence as far as movie stars go. Um, and I kind of like that. He just kind of stopped being interactive after he stopped making movies. Like he won a presidential medal of freedom and everything. It's like, good for him, you know, good on that, whatever. Um, but, you know, not being one of those guys that like cast out opinions years later or what have you, not that I think he has like horrible things to say or whatnot, but it's like, right. it's nice that you just kind of have a picture of this guy and it hasn't been like altered because he just kind of got out of the game, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's I don't, I don't think many are afforded that opportunity these days, given the way we kind of <laughs> push for celebrities to have something to say about everything. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, like because he's, you know, he made a lot of movies with Bill Cosby. And it's like, I don't think I necessarily want to hear Sidney Poitier, w- whether or not he leans on a certain side of like how he'd respond to Bill. I don't, I don't need that article to be like yeah. uh, Sidney Poitier breaks silence on Cosby. I'm kind of glad <laughs> that that never like transpired. Never broke his silence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, um, thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Uh, you can find uh, listeners. You can find us at battleshipretention.com, of course. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Ask him what he thought of Sydney Poitier's movies. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davy Pretension. Also, check out my uh, other podcast, the one where I met your mother, where my wife and I watched an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, every week. This week, uh, we we finished up season two, uh, which means there are two. There are two more episodes of Friends in season two than there are of How Many Mothers. We finished season two of How Many Mother a couple weeks ago, but we uh, wrapped up season two of of Friends. Um, so uh, next week we'll we'll be jumping into season three of both shows. Uh, very excited about that. Uh, and are, that's the are, one that, are, are Ross and Rachel together now at the end of season two? Is that- uh, oh yeah, they, they yeah they they were together for. Uh, they got together earlier in season two. Oh, that's right. Okay. Most um, of season two. There. Okay. No, the, there was a breakup though in the season two finale. Uh, that's when it is. Okay. It's the finale. Uh, no, no, I'm saying there was a breakup in the season two finale, not Ross and Rachel. Oh, it, it's uh, Monica. Richard. I'm trying to recall friends. <laughs> well, so the premise of how, the one where I'm in mother is that I don't know friends. So I'm not really sure what got to it. look forward to. Um, and Natalie doesn't know how I'm in your mother, which I do. Uh, anyway, so that's the one where I met your mother. 
Uh, Aaron, where can people find you and where do you want them to find you on the internet? The where, where do I, where do I not want them to find me? <laughs> um, I host a podcast with my friend, Abe. It is called out now with Aaron and Abe. We talk about weekly movie releases. Uh, we do, we're going to talk about uh, Dr. Strange and, and the uh, uh, drag beat a multiverse um, that's that, that's going to come up soon enough. Uh, and we do uh, commentaries every month as well. We just did one for face off, which was super fun. Um, lots of fun conversation about face off. Um, so yeah, out now, Aaron Abe on iTunes, everywhere you can find podcasts. I write movie reviews for League of entertainment as well as some TV reviews and covering Atlanta currently, which is wonderful in this third season. Um, I am so far behind because mm. as, as listeners, I think know by now I am moving, which means all of our free time is about, packing and changing addresses and stuff so i am like weeks behind like three weeks behind on every tv show i'm looking forward to once we move and we don't have any fucking money anymore because moving is expensive we will sit down and catch up on all the tv so i'm looking forward to uh, catching up on, on atlanta i think the last one was when i saw was the one where they're uh, uh interrogating the kid they think stole uh, <laughs> yeah. uh paperboy's cell, cell phone i'll say this right this is so there's a cameo in this week's episode that is better than any of the cameos of Doctor Strange in the Madness of okay. Multiverse Madness. <laughs> um, but regardless, I also write for Why So Blue for Criterion and Blu-ray reviews, and I do some variety stuff occasionally. And I am on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Well, thank you, Aaron, for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.